When it comes to building or designing a self-storage facility, it is so important to have the best experts in your corner that know and truly understand the self-storage asset class. You don't want to be making mistakes. You don't want to have the wrong people in your corner at the beginning. You want to have all the right people. And that's why we brought an in-house architect into Cedar Creek Capital to help you guys better design your facilities right from the get-go to optimize that square footage and therefore that revenue right from the beginning. Follow the link below in the show notes, get in touch with us, and our in-house architect can start working with you today. Welcome everybody to the Self Storage Income Podcast. And today we are starting from like foundational stuff that is foundational, but it, it actually grows and can get a lot more compl complex and complicated. But this is a great topic because it is at the core of our business strategy. And in fact, it was what a long time ago, I think, um, I started talking about, I started speaking on a long time ago. It was kind of where I more made a name for myself in self-storage. And that was the fact that self-storage is not a real estate investment. It is a business. And that's how we treated it. And now that is much more commonly accepted, especially after the book, Growing or Creating Wealth in Self-Storage. And we that was the whole entire premise of the book, right? The whole and I think that's why the book did so well, and mm -hmm. I was shocked by it, was it, it came out and it, I really had, when I started talking about this like uh, on stage and everything, I got a lot of feedback that people wanted me to come talk a lot more, where it was our very simplistic approach. This was a while ago. This wasn't anytime soon. Uh, so <laughs> back, in the, back day. in the day, you young kids. Um, but it, it was talking about how the way that everybody approached storage and treated it was more traditional to other types of real estate asset classes. And we didn't treat it like that at all. We, we treated it, uh, when I say treated it, I mean, we, we looked for potentials, we underwrote and we um, ran them like a business. And that changed the way that we did a lot of things and it was very different from most real estate people and still is most real estate people that come in i think they they view the asset um similar it's like okay it's a business but it's real estate we're going to do the same things that we would do on other real estate properties to create yield um and we we operate differently right but that's why the book did so well it and i think it was because it struck a chord with especially people in the industry where they were like yes Mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, that is correct. Right. Yeah. Especially in real estate, you know, like you said, you've got all of these very real estate centric focused people that are looking, you know, I mean, we've even had the conversations with these people where they're coming in, they're saying, okay, yeah. So, you know, valuing something X, Y, Z, they're looking at, uh, they're looking at, looking at comps. They're doing all these different things like, like normal real estate people yes. do. And it's like, no, like that's, that's not what you need to do. Like, yeah. don't, don't be looking at the comps. Don't be looking at this. Like you're, you're looking at the business you're buying on cash flow. You're buying what you can achieve through that. Um, as far as what that spread is, it's not a, okay, well, this one down the street is doing this. So this is what this one needs to be doing. It's, it's not like you're comparing values in, in a certain yeah. way like we, that. So we talk about this even last week on the podcast when we yeah. had a discussion on revenue management and how it can get more complex. And that's really hard for people to understand, especially financial institutions. This idea that 
and I, I believe we talked about it on last week's podcast where we talked about how things changed so much, but I, uh, we talked about what was driving technology and things was changed. But mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure we mentioned and we, we talked about this spread of in-place versus street rates and how it is so wildly different from any other asset class that even banks can't get around it, meaning that we, and we have this problem. So I, I actually expressed this problem with the bank and we're trying to get the bank over. And two, there's not an answer. It's not because, by the way, here, I'm not saying the bank is stupid or they're even doing it wrong. It is the divergence, though, of how you finance and how you uh, look at real estate assets to a business, meaning that when I go out and buy a business that's, let's say it's a 3x multiple of gross revenue, I'm going to the bank and I'm showing, look at how we can increase this revenue, everything else, which we do that with banks, but here's the problem. So banks zero out numbers today. And I believe we talked more in depth. Go watch the other one to get into revenue management more definitely because we're not going to talk about it that in depth here. But they zero it out, meaning that, all right, what are the street rates? So in street rates, just mean what are the rates? All they can see. If we see, and there's a $100 rate in the marketplace today because people are getting discounts and move-in specials, right? Then they say, all right, it's a $100 rate. And then we think the economy's not very good. So you're going to get a, let's say, a 3 to 6% rental rate increase maybe in this market in this time every single year for four years. And it's like, that is so wildly not how we do it and how self-storage works. But that is how real estate works, where it's hard to explain to them, actually, we're going to be driving those people up to $200 in two years. Mm -hmm. First of all, the first reaction is, no, you're not, because no one will stay. And you're like, actually, that's not how storage works. They're doing Uh, it today. We do it today. (laughs) In fact, that's the reason why street rates are at $100 instead of $200. And so they see a huge nosedive in rates that makes them nervous not realizing that, no, they're doing it because they're going to get them back up in a very mm-hmm. short period of time. We focus more on that lifetime value. So the lifetime value of that customer, total products, insurance, length of stay, rental rate increases, right? And that number is so wildly different than that offering price that we give. But banks, which makes sense. If I'm a bank, even knowing what I know today, if I'm a bank and you're like, you want me to loan you $10 million and then you're you're saying it's going to be worth twenty million dollars, and the data that I have is trust me, bro. Yeah, right. Like <laughs> it, they're not wrong. I'm not saying that uh, they should just yeah accept these crazy things. Like it's you know, but they <laughs> are wrong in the fact that that's not how it works. A perfect example yeah. that we even gave and we talked about with my portfolio, we had markets that we were twenty six plus percent down in street rates. And our overall revenue of that portfolio went up 30%. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the bank, first of all, that doesn't make sense, right? They're looking at rates just going down, 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 down. We have these newly acquired properties. Our revenue is going up, even though our street rates are dropping. Right. So they're sitting here looking and saying, let me get this straight. You dropped rates by 25%, but your gross revenue is up by 10% at that property. It's hard to understand. And it's like, yeah, that's how this works. And this is the reason why we say you got to treat it like a business. And two, this wasn't really us. This was extra space. They pioneered this. If I was not saying, I I don't want to give them simply the credit, but they're the ones that did it at mass Mm -hmm. and they used it through technology. But when extra space came in and they merged 
with really what, what had happened. The guy that came in and acquired uh, it and started to run it, they he came from a tech background, which everybody was like, what are you doing in this weird asset class called storage? You're from a tech industry, right? You made tons and tons of money in tech. He's like, hold my and beer. he's like, exactly, 100%. <laughs> and uh, he came in with that same approach and said- So cool. It, no, we're going to use technology, operate these things like a business. And, you know, that made him a billionaire or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really mass produced this approach. And that, uh, once again, we talked in the other one, so I won't go. That all started in 2008 and now technology. That comes with good things and bad things as we're seeing in the marketplace. But to focus more on the 101 type stuff, when we're running it, how we look at it, day-to-day operations is a combination of, we talk a lot product market fit. So how Mm -hmm. is the product being presented? Maintaining that perceived value to customers, then the in and the servicing of the customer. So you have that front end part with our customers, okay? So the product that's being presented, that's being sold, how they get into the product. So operationally now, how do we find and acquire a tenant? And uh, those two things come together on that front end. On the back end is more of those things that I was talking about on the operational side. Now, you may be saying, hey, Jay, this is a lot. Um, It's only a lot because I like to dive deep into things and go way beyond what we should be. Um, But it's it's not actually a lot. So we first got to cover the original business model, which I try to make sure everyone understands that our original business model was that we were going to make people pay their bills. We were going to answer the phone and we were gonna try to let people know that we were there. That was how we were gonna run those businesses, right? And the reason was, was because that was failing so miserably. Mm -hmm. That model still works together in a huge, or works today in a huge portion of the United States. Absolutely. So like this, and two, you may be saying, well, I'm not gonna do all that, I don't forget. Even if you're not running a storage facility, so even if you're saying, I'm not going to be doing it, if you do not know how the game works, how in the world are you hiring the right person to run your facilities? So whether you're doing it or not, if you're hiring a third-party management, you need to know, right? Like you need to know what's going on. You need to know how that works because that will dramatically affect obviously your asset performance and especially in what markets. Mm -hmm. No, it really will. Those operational factors really do play a huge role. Um, even today, I mean, we've played with a lot of different management styles, you know, implementing more technology and not, and, you know, having more manned and unmanned. We've, we've played with a lot of different structures, both uh, with technology and then also with the, the human capital portion of that, where we're saying, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to have this, this management structure and these, these different tiers of management. And I mean, just recently, we've kind of gone through and redone a lot of our, lot. our operations and management at the facility levels and um, really have gotten back to more of that customer service based the yes. the different ways that we can in, continue to drive value in ways that maybe other facilities aren't or that we just recognize works well for us and yeah. that's how we operate as a business uh, so it's been uh, and, that, it's, and that's a big factor too mm-hmm. everyone i think it's what connor just said it, there's two things that i need to point out because it's really important and true first of all we test a lot I, I mean, if there's anybody in this industry that's like, yeah, I'll test something. And if it doesn't work out, that's fine because yeah. I'm doing it on my own money. So that's yeah. really allowed us 
to do things that no normal investor or somebody would do. Our property management company, everything else, all like I'll test something out and if it fails, literally I won't like I'll take away like a management fee or something to the investors because like, ah, that was us. I was just playing around. It didn't work. I can just spend my own money to try things. We did this with technology from uh, hard wiring, right? Keyless entry systems that had never been done before that we worked with Janice. Right now, I'm in the middle of negotiations on a big new project that will be first of its kind, right? In a way that we structure and do things um, with Janice again. And we're willing to say, I want to try this technology that will work within certain management communication structures. How can we thin this out? And if it doesn't work, just say, oh, it didn't work because this is a business. So I believe that businesses that are innovative survive and businesses that don't die. Mm -hmm. Storage allows though you to not be innovated and not die, but it doesn't mean you won't survive or excuse me, thrive. And so what that is the problem though with storage in a lot of these industries is because they are allowed to not be forward thinking and innovative and they can make that work, right? Because their cost basis and everything is fixed mm -hmm. and they just might not be getting the upside. So therein lies our business strategy and opportunity. We're finding the people that don't, we come in and we get all that upside. Now that is become mass product and produced. It's weird. It's like somebody wrote a book on it and told everybody exactly how to do it. Um, guys. So I know. Jeez. <laughs> so over the last five years, that model has become standardized, especially in the private equity um, area. And so you need to know, too, who you're competing with. Mm -hmm. So we are willing to try to implement and to throw out what works and doesn't work. Um, that's something I never want to lose and I never don't want to do. Uh, a lot of people are way too afraid of short turn, uh, short downside to forego long-term upside because in real estate, they hate that. Um, and that's something we even explained to our investors. We're like, listen, we make a lot of short-term changes and we may, it, like that consistency that you uh, see with just like it being a, like, uh, okay, here's my straight line distribution or whatever. That You don't get that with us. Why? Because we're doing value add. So we're trying to dramatically increase revenue, which makes, I don't know why everybody doesn't do that. Why? Because my downside is limited. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to tank it. So I have an opportunity to play with things in the short term to get an exaggerated upside in the long term. Why wouldn't you do that? In, in most businesses, that's not how that works. It doesn't work like that. You screw something up and you can dramatically destroy your business. Mm -hmm. But we have resilient tenants. It's real estate, so we can. So we are okay. We I, I view it in periods. We have a one to three year period. Then we have a three to six year period. And then for there out, we have it. So our one to three year period is a system and a value um a value creation period where we're, we're really analyzing it. Three to six years is a stabilize and a equity retrieval. Then from six years on, it is maximizing, um, but it should be stabilized and implementation. We do obviously change and make things uh, and change things along the way. But uh, I, I think that our approach as a business though, if you do look at it like a business, you have to be willing 
to try new things. Because I know you've seen Connor, every single one of our markets acts differently. Mm-hmm. And some things that work in one market does not work in another. Absolutely. You have a totally different tenant demographic. You have different laws, rules, regulations, timeframes. Uh, I mean, everything from getting tenants in the door to sending eviction notices to the type of people that you can hire in certain areas. The, I mean, not only the demographic of tenants, but that another factor that's really been on my mind lately is this demographic of talent. You know, attracting top talent, how you attract and retain talent. And, you know, when you're in these different markets, a lot of times, and too, if you're looking at some of these really tertiary markets, um, that's something that you might want to consider. How, I mean, we've got facilities and areas that uh, it is a total nightmare to try to find good talent that's going to stay for any period of time. Yeah. It's just a revolving door. Yeah. And you look, so at the, difficult. you look at the cost there, and it's huge where, yeah, maybe it does make sense in that market to go more remote managed in a certain yeah. way versus another property or facilities where you have these really high-end tenants and expectations and maybe you need somebody there to smile and greet them every day and pay them a good you know wage to be there to do that and your acquisition will fail if you don't yep a lot of people look at it they're like you know well we implemented all this technology and everything so we can be totally remote in fact i had a podcast with uh john hall yeah john hall three weeks ago which is awesome i love his model right um he he's great he's a partner with us in tenant um, and his model and how he's really perfected that and that works. And they're doing a lot of the uh, um, no key, uh, no key yeah. tied with the hummingbird product from mm-hmm. uh, tenant. But then they do it on a smaller um, uh, conversions like they'll go into do smaller conversions. Right. And then it's totally not just manless, but it's all done from your phone. Right. And now we we did so take his model and take our model on a conversion and on that conversion we have two full-time people at and you go well what's the difference and the difference is simple we allow and can do all those things but our projects like with our expansion it's 150 160,000 square feet right yeah. uh, thousand units thousand yeah we're at like 1200 <laughs> units or something yeah. like that we have a road that actually goes through the middle of the building with pull-offs drives right it would actually i mean we're doing well over two million plus in revenue at that facility we would lose money by not having those people there so the investment in that person at mm-hmm. that location it, it the reflection of it on our overall revenue and net o, uh, uh noi it's not worth losing that little fifty thousand sixty thousand dollars that we pay that person to try to make that up on the noi because we would overfill that on the loss of NOI without them, right? Mm -hmm. So we both do the same thing, but then you have two different properties, both conversions, both the exact same technology. That's why I'm using him as an example because it works very well. We're using same products. I mean, he thinks just like we do. Great podcast, everybody go back and and check it out. Uh, But in certain circumstances, right, doesn't work now. Like Connor saying, we have other assets that no, his system actually works better on those products that we use. And we have to be adaptable for that and we have to use it. So it does change it. It mm-hmm. does change predicated on market because the market that we have that huge facility into is a high growth market. What that means is we can get away with way more turnover 
So our storefront is super, it's beautiful, right? All glass, you can see through into the facility, through the office, outside, and it has, um, uh, it actually has uh, computer stands, like touch screens. Uh, this is the one that we did with um, uh, Reed and Lance. Um, they're my partners in that. We've had uh, them on other podcasts. You can go check that out. But it's very new age, right? But mm -hmm. because it's such a high growth market, we want people to actually come in because we can sell them in that environment. And two, we have so many people coming in. Mm -hmm. So it is more than just, we have both the ad, we have the both the direct, meaning our ads acquisition of those customers that never come in at all. But then we also have not, we have so many units that a rotation of 10% occupancy a month, you're talking about 130 plus people a month. If I'm in a low growth market where I don't have big turnover and I don't have as many units, right? All of a sudden, you may still be getting the same percentage of revenue growth. You may still be getting the same occupancy, but you may be down to like 12 people turnover a month. That is so much more manageable to do from the back office right. and using technology than saying, we will have anywhere between 100 and 200 people turnover Right at a facility a that has over a hundred or thirteen hundred units, right? Mm -hmm. So, this is the important piece that we look at with business model and technology. And when we're on here, guys, telling you this is our model, our model is a business, so it's adaptable to what the market and customers want, like Connor's talking about. Mm -hmm. No, exactly right. And from that from that standpoint, I mean, you're looking at again, you're looking at this as a business. What works for that market? the product, the people, what uh, what management style works, what technology works, what doesn't, and, and being able to actually go in and apply that and succeed. Um, you can't just, like so, much, so many things in storage or anything in general, you cannot just go and apply these generalities to, uh, and these averages, whatever you want to call them, to the market as a whole yeah. or to the asset class as a whole where you know, there's a lot of big players that are moving more and more towards remote management. But the fact of the matter is, with the amount of people moving out of units, say, again, this example yeah. of a thousand unit facility, there is just, you you are going to have to have presence at that facility in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, 100%. Unless you've got some crazy AI robots that uh, you have cleaning yeah. your facility or something, which would yeah. be cool, let us know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but you're going to have to have a level of interaction yes. there. And again, too, that other aspect, I mean, I'm thinking of one of our assets, you know, here locally that uh, we've recently implemented and tested out some of this remote technology. And, uh, you know, as we're talking about it, about that, even in this conversation, it's a high-end asset, high-end clientele. It needs someone there. Yes. We, we immediately saw the effect exactly of not right. having someone there. Yep. And I think that was also due to the individual market itself. And this was one of the things that we found shocking, right? Is how much it mattered at some assets and how much it doesn't at others. Mm -hmm. And I find people that are not willing to budge, they think this is the model, this is how it works. Okay, that is the idea of a real estate investor. Right. When you're running a business, <laughs> it's what your customers want. Exactly. How do they want to buy? I see this in areas where somebody goes and buy or builds a three-story. So we saw this. This happened in uh, Iowa. We went to a market where we said there's six square feet per capita. Mm -hmm. 
this is a great development opportunity, had great growth. And we were looking between this asset and one that had 15 square feet per capita. And we were thinking the one that had 15 per, uh, square feet per capita we didn't want because it was obviously oversaturated. So um, Brian Mullally and Connor and I, we flew out to do our market research and everything. And we were shocked at the low square footage, but then we went to certain facilities that had been open for three years and they weren't full. And at the time, this was a while ago, but at the time it was like, oh geez, this, there's, we, we couldn't quite put our finger on what was wrong with the market and everything. And as we went back and started to look at the competitors, I, I think it was pretty clearly a product problem. Meaning that in this city, and wait, Iowa or Nebraska? It was Iowa. Iowa, yep. yeah. In Iowa, they had built a three-story climate-controlled building that they did because you get higher rents per square foot and you can put more units in. And that facility was not full three years later and they were discounting rates and everything. Why? People didn't want the product in that market. Mm -hmm. So the real estate guy said, this makes sense. Revenue per square foot, I get more units, it's high end, it's mm -hmm. total class, right? Everything else like that, which it was. The best facility in the market. There's no question. That was the beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. It, it's Brand so new. much nicer than its competitors a mile down the road. The competitors a mile down the road, all full and same or higher rates. Simply due to the fact that they didn't understand what their customer wanted. Mm -hmm. They approached it like a real estate investment. And their customer's like, I don't care how you look at it. I don't want that. And this is a classic self-storage mistake. We see this all the time. And we make it. We make and we've looked at products and we said, oh, that wasn't right or that was wrong. One of our great strategies that we have is we actually buy products and then shape them into what they should be. We're changing mm -hmm. units, things like that. But we have a product that we bought about a year ago and that product was so this was very, very interesting. In that market, we actually see a direct correlation because it was about 93.4% occupancy when we bought it. Um, it is now 70% occupancy. Our revenue is almost double than what we bought it, uh, but that's another story for another time. But at that 70%, a good story. <laughs> but at that 70%, we're trying to fill up the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And the market had changed so much through COVID and after COVID that what had actually happened is that market no longer wanted a certain unit size that it had been very popular pre-COVID and pre-inflation and uh, uh, pre-high interest rates. That product now is not in high demand. So out of our total vacancy, 65% uh, of all vacancy comes from that one product type, that one unit type, right? Well, that is a classic thing where the market shifted, okay? We have to shift with the market now. And we, we didn't know that. We could have never obviously foreseen COVID, what customers would want, what they would do. But that's irrelevant. We've got to meet the market. So now mm -hmm. we have to figure out how to set offerings. And some of the things that we're doing is we are actually changing because uh, I can actually tell you how to work on this now. So here's some tactical things that you could do is we look at it and say, all right, this unit doesn't work. The, these units, these other three are working. So this was a, this is a 10 by 15 
and what happened was if you went higher than 10 by 15s so when you got to the 10 by 30s things like that there was demand and when you got down to more of like the uh 10 by 10s and lower there was demand it was this mid-range that just got obliterated uh and the reason being i think was inflation interest rates moving the bigger units was popular but the bigger units the 10 by 15 was a cheaper version of the bigger ones so people that were more price sensitive took the 10 by 15s instead of the bigger ones and during inflation and everything else that and they were moving and so they needed one so they didn't care that that whole segment just got hit that that price point doesn't work anymore so now all of a sudden it's all right how do we meet it so then it's if you're looking at a unit the price point to the measurements in the market i want that product type the first thing you have is when you look at it and say 10 by 15 i don't want a 10 by 15. so then they just move on and go to the next place so the first thing you got to do is say no we're selling a 20 by 30. right uh 20 by 30 this one's special because that's two doors you immediately change the product well, I don't want the wall in there. Cool. Cool. We'll get rid of the wall. We'll get rid of the wall. We'll pull it out, <laughs> right? And we gotta do. you're exactly right. And so it's, uh, and then, but even people that like, you can discount that to the other 10 by 30s because mm -hmm. there is a wall, but they're side by side, right? Some people are like, okay, I, I just care about the space. And the fact that it's discounted because it has a wall, that's great for me, actually. Um, then you've now changed completely that offering to the market. You're matching what the market wants. Even though it may not be perfect, you offer it at a discounted level. And if it's too much of a problem, remove the walls. And then you've now changed that unit up and that is now gonna get absorbed within the market. Uh, now this can happen the other way around too. You may have too many big units. So I met a lot of people that were trying to build big storage facilities, just big units. This was also the same with people that were just trying to build just big RV spots. That always scares me, always. I don't like that. There's a benefit to it because you're so specialized, but the problem is if that market shifts on you and you get in a point, because what happened was those big units that people were trying to sell, the reason they were doing it is because there was demand at the time, but also you could charge. So let me, share with you an example of underwriting. We're developing a facility where the um, drive-in RV units in that marketplace were very, very popular. Um, and so we put a lot of them in. We had climate control, drive up, we had a good mix, but still there was a lot of them in. We could charge $600 for those enclosed in this area, average income over $140,000. Uh, and we track a whole lot of that stuff. Um, you can see, actually, I think we did a breakdown of that on our YouTube go check that out. But uh, from there, we could look at it and say, we could charge $600 for that unit. Well, once interest rates went up, everybody stopped buying RVs because they couldn't finance it. And then inflation tied with that, everybody's appetite for huge expenses went down. So now that $600 RV in that market is selling for $200. Now for us, it was an easy adjustment. We literally just quickly changed the unit, unit mix. We actually increased our revenue per square foot. We had a better offering for the product. Uh, but it can show you how if we didn't have the ability, that was the only thing we had in that, we just, we're now getting 30% of the revenue. Mm -hmm. And that, you gotta be careful with that. So if you're gonna do that, the best way to do that is to go deep into the business model where you're like, and, and how I've seen this done best for people that do it is we're a full service shop. 
So now we're charging $600, but we do so much more. We are not a storage facility, right? Mm -hmm. We are an RV servicing center. So we'll clean it, we'll do all these things, we'll pick it up, we'll do... So what you're doing now is you're not the same product anymore, right? right? And that's how a business, and that's how you service your customer. Those ones will do well and survive because they're hitting the market that is willing to pay for that. Where the other ones, once again, it was that mid-range, that's the ones that got hurt. And it's an old adage that I'd always heard in business that you and we saw through our consulting and servicing everything, you pick the market, but you never pick middle class Mm -hmm. (laughs) because middle class is way more fickle. So you either go high or low because what middle class does is they end up separating into one of those buckets. Mm -hmm. Times are good. Middle class goes up to purchase higher end, better products. So all that happens is when times are good, you get more demand. But the people that are buying it are generally insulated more from fluctuations in the market. So even when things get bad, your core audience doesn't hit that much. Bottom, same thing, right? That's a, uh, you go through downtimes and middle class goes and starts, they start cutting back and they start going down. So your bottom expands. But then two, even though when times get better and everything, there's always a price conscious class. So when you look at that, you've got to realize those customers' needs, what's driving them and their purchasing decisions. So many people don't look at it like that. They mm-hmm. just simply look at it as a unit and they look at it at the market. This is what we can charge. When that's a momentary thing. And the problem is they were building and they were buying on three years of that was so far from normal. Like it, there was no way that we were ever going to stay in anywhere near that. Yeah. You could not put out thousands of enclosed RV units in a city charging six that's what it was, excuse me, in our market. It was 800 to 250. But we are getting in our other markets, 600 bucks. Um, You can't charge 600 to 1,000. All the RVs do it, only because money's free. Everybody's buying RVs. And then when that changes, you have all this inventory and prices just crater. That's the same with parking. We actually have an investor, and he's also my friend, and he built a, uh, he built a, open parking area so what he did all he did is fence it make open parking very popular because it's very simple now uh open parking facility just a few miles away from where he was doing this was selling for six million dollars all it was was gravel and dirt and i had several people reach out to me um, from all over because it was in our market where i live and that's what they do they want to look at it and i go here's the problem you have, it was the total of six to 10 acres, maybe 10 acres. And I go, you can buy 10 acres for half a million dollars. And the city's going to let you do open parking. That's why they're there. And that's why there's so much. There's no rules against it. They don't care. So then I always ask, what are you paying $6 million for? Mm-hmm. And the dirt itself is worth a half a million, right? And there's no barriers of entry. And uh, somebody actually bought it for $6 million. This was right before the crash. Then he went out prior to that, and he built his, and he only got 30%. He couldn't even fill it up. And uh, so he luckily just changed up and used his land differently, which works great. And he had the ability and knowledge to do that, so he could. But that was in a time where that, that open parking stuff, that was selling like hotcakes. Mm-hmm. I mean, but so many people went in and built it. 
And I just keep going back and thinking about that that person that paid six million bucks to where, I mean, I'd be shocked if it was worth three million today. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, there's no intrinsic value whatsoever. It's so easy to do. Everybody can do it. Um, and today, try refinancing that with a bank today. Yeah, you no could kidding. three years ago. So you got to understand that these one product, you can get trapped in them. Once again, it's, it's okay to have a business model that does it, everybody. Um, I have a friend uh, that does contractor storage, but that's what he calls it, mm -hmm. right? It's contractor storage. Consumer so he, product. Fit. Yes, yep. exactly. So yep. he's very specific on that and on that niche, right? Um, so really when you're looking at a business, once again, this customer and understanding how that a customer is affected during different cycles. How price sensitive are they? And what are you paying for? Does this model work if the environment changes? And a lot of times the answer is, oh, it won't change. And we got a lot of that over the last three years. Yeah. It won't change. Till it does. Till it does. And it will. And it will. A hundred percent, everyone. It will. And uh, when you're buying, when you're building, when you're operating your facility, you need to be able to change. The fact that you don't like technology and what it's doing, the customer doesn't care. Your acquisition of your customer, even though you don't like what's going on and you may not like how you have to play the game, everything else, customer doesn't care. And what happens is he just doesn't know you exist anymore. So. If you are with a third-party management system that does not have, or excuse me, a third-party property manager who does not put huge emphasis on this and have arrows in their quiver that they can pull out, that they can defend, that they can look at and talk about operating in different cycles and how to mode, how to change things, technology that they're trying to stay on top of. Instead, they just say, stealth storage is you know, really simple. We're just gonna focus on the fundamentals, right? It's not that that doesn't work and it's not important, but what it means though, is if things change from what they view as a simple business model at that time, mm -hmm. you could be really in trouble with the person that you hired because their simple system doesn't work today. Right. I've seen this through two cycles. We saw this and we made tons of money after the great financial crisis, not because where real estate prices were anything else. It's because we had operators that were operating from 2010 to 2016, like they were from 1995 to 2000. Yellow pages, no online, nothing, no anything else. They didn't change and they were getting slaughtered. And by slaughtered, I don't mean they were losing money. Not at all, because they had such a low cost basis, they could make money. Their upside that they were missing out was crazy. I mean, you're talking right. about valuations that we changed by double in two years. And this was simple stuff, right? But this happens. And we are in a marketplace where people are still acting like the last cycle, right, will work. So don't get caught by it, but it can also be an opportunity. The more you understand that marketplace and your customer, the more you can adapt to it. And this is, awful, uh, this is often a hard lesson, I know, because we learn it because I don't know what's gonna change. We're looking for our customers to tell us. And guess what, you guys, your customer tells you usually in a bad way. Why aren't we getting new customers? Why are customers leaving? Why won't they accept this price? Why won't they, right? That's what tells you. 
if you said, oh, my customers like it because it's 100% full and nobody's moving out and everything, that could also be a, a, a signal to you. You're doing something wrong, meaning mm -hmm. you're making it, you, you don't have one customer, it just fits everybody. So that means you're just com either competing on price or something else and you're leaving all this money on the table. So listen to them, don't be afraid of change. Don't be afraid of trying things out and maximizing things, right? And don't be afraid of losing customers. So many storage operators are just terrified that they're mm -hmm. gonna lose their customers. You can't do that. No, and uh, another thing I'll add is don't, don't afraid to be wrong. To, to that list of, of don't be afraid. Uh, yeah. That's one of those things that, again, don't get married to an idea, don't get married to a concept yes. and think that this is the way that it has to be. Uh, again, be adaptable, be, be adaptable. flexible. I mean, we are, I, I, we're wrong all the time. In fact, yeah. we, in fact, we try to be wrong because if we're not trying new things, we we aren't wrong. Yeah, we're pushing the envelope. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wanna know, and if there's a great way that an operator's doing something, I want to know about it. I want to implement it. I want to try it out. And that may not work in this case or whatnot. But the fact of the matter is we want to be testing. Um, now, the key is to figure it out quick. And I have been slow. Okay, everybody, our sponsors really help keep this show going. Now, a quick word from them. One of the best ways to optimize management and to increase the value of your self-storage facility is through property management. And that means you're going to need really good property management software. That's where Tenant Inc. comes in. These guys have a huge amount of tools at your fingertips that you guys can deploy and put into motion to extract the maximum amount of value and deploy the maximum amount of value at your storage facility. Again, this is Tenant Inc. Be sure to check them out. They're all things property management. It's truly your one-stop shop. Check them out. Link is in the show notes. Now, the key is to figure it out quick. And I have been slow. And I think that the last cycle made a lot of us slow. Uh, it was too good for too long. And we did not have the customer feedback that we needed. So we didn't even know when there was problems until it came up, right? And I saw this in one of our markets particularly. We had a lot of assets in. And this market was unlike any market I'd ever seen as dominated by directories. Like I've never seen anything like this. Mm -hmm. No market is still, not even markets we're in. I've never seen a market like this. And we did not want to use directories. And we didn't want to play the game that the REITs were playing on the rates, things like that. That killed us. And I was way too slow. I waited months and thought, no, we're gonna do this better. So it, it, the precautionary tell in that is don't sit around and wait to think that the customers or the market's going to return to how you want it or do what you want it to do. Adapt quickly. Be looking at your reports month over month. Look at individual unit types. Look at move-ins. Look at it all to try to understand what the customers are telling you. Mm -hmm. Exactly right. Exactly right. And so much of that goes into just everything that we're talking about in, in relation to running these assets like a business. You are looking at that revenue, that occupancy. You're looking at it. I mean, we look at everything weekly. 
you know, there's weekly. a lot of these different, you know, uh, data points that it doesn't make sense to look at weekly, of course, but, you know, at minimum, look at these things monthly, look at the trends, get the feedback and get granular. Get Don't just look at overall occupancy, look at your occupancy based on unit type, because again, you'll be able to identify what units are performing well and what aren't. If you need to make adjustments, launch yes. promotions, do whatever you got to do to get that leased up. Um, just so many ways to be creative, but it all comes back down to, again, all those fundamentals of product market fit, supply and demand, all of those things as far as running a business, that's yeah. that's what storage is and it should be and can be. Uh, I mean, really the question is, do you want your do you want your business, do you want your asset performing to the highest of its ability? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Run it like a business. And, you know, this also provides opportunity, meaning that you can see opportunity. Mm -hmm. Our fund two exactly that we right. have open now, we just completed, we have one asset that's under contract that's closing and it's our last one within the fund. And every one of these was so unique that we had this amazing opportunity on. We've been very picky. And I mean, we've got seller finance deals, we've got under replacement cost ones, we've got expansion opportunities in markets that they don't let you build, but these were grandfathered in so they couldn't say no. And there's like, but this might be hard to operate in this way. We'll figure this out because the opportunity is so tremendous, right? And that, I mean, it's already cash flow positive. We already own the assets, which you guys can find fun too in the link uh, below. Check it out. Um, we're wrapping it up in two months. But all of them have such huge opportunistic and, uh, and revenue value with the downside already met. So mm -hmm. unlike a development, right, it, with these, it's like, no, we have an expansion. So we can add 200,000 square feet that outside the cost to build, we have no expense change operationally. That's just margin and value. We have another one that we are adding on. Um, it's something crazy, like, you know, 200 um, uh, parking spots and covered and some uh, areas that cost us nothing to do. And even at like 30 cents a square foot, right? It, it, it adds 200,000 to the income on a cap rate. That's yeah. millions, right? And that's easy. It's easy for us to measure. It's easy for us to see. It's easy for us to do. And then we have other ones that are changing the product that are, there, there's just so many things that once you do these things and you have these tools, you can see huge upside, opportunistic upside. But you, once again, your downside's already fixed because you're purchasing it predicated on that profit that it's generating. Mm -hmm. Uh, that's pretty much what Fund Two is full of right now, and we're, we're it's already cash flow positive, and we haven't even closed it out, which is funny because I did not think that would happen. Uh, but um, it's it, it it's exciting for me because this is. is opportunities we did not have three years ago. Yeah, because we did not have customer feedback, we couldn't see in the marketplace where vacancies lied, so you didn't really know. Everything was mm -hmm. full and everything was awesome, so it was well, really just, hard to find yeah. opportunities. So much competition. Yeah, uh, it was it was a nightmare there for a couple of years. But uh, no, I'm I'm glad to be getting back to uh, to reality a little bit. <laughs> That's going to be nice. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of these things that you know problems that need to be solved. A lot of cleanup work we got to do to make sure that uh, everything's performing top notch. And again, do all these value adds and really really start driving revenue and, and value and growing these assets. So 100. So it's fantastic. All right, everybody, back to the basics. Don't forget, it's a business not a real estate investment. So treat it like one. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.